If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from from God prepared as a, as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See the home of gods among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They, they, will, they will be his peoples, and God himself will, will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who has seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then, then, he, said, Say, then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end to the thirsty, I will give water as a gift from the spring of water of life. Here ends the reading from our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. Of the excerpts from Revelation, the lectionary has us read this selection, Revelation 21, 1 through 6, might be described as the most boring. It's not particularly shocking. It includes fairly little imagery, at least compared to the rest of the book. And perhaps this is because John used all of his creative writing in the earlier chapters, which describe a cosmic battle, a lake of fire, a rider called Faithful and True, whose eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, with armies of heaven wearing fine linen, white and pure, following him in on white horses. Not to mention a dragon, a beast, a false prophet, bowls of wrath, and plagues. So I mean, yes, the description of a new city dropping down from heaven to earth is pretty big news. But we really don't get into the details of it yet. And yes, the news that there is no sea is also surprising, makes us wonder what John has against dolphins. But there aren't really any specific details. The sea just is no more. John chooses his imagery carefully, though, 
and that the sea is no more is actually good news, at least at the time this text was written. In Jewish literature, the sea is often a symbol of chaos. So, of course, when picturing a new heaven and a new earth, John says that there is no sea, no sea, no chaos, along with no death, no mourning, no crying, no pain. Sounds good. Generally speaking, we are all familiar with the apocalyptic interpretation of Revelation, fiery, death-filled explanations of how the world as we know it will end. Today is not the day to do a review of dispensational millennialism, but I'll just say that such an interpretation is a theological train wreck and misunderstands both apocalyptic literature and the prophetic tradition of Judaism. Yes, John paints a sort of traditional apocalyptic picture of a final judgment of the dead, but because of our commitment to biblically responsible and intellectually honest interpretation of our sacred text, we understand the book of Revelation to be serious political and religious commentary. John is, in a sense, an ancient political cartoonist. The word pictures John paints are symbols, icons, representations of powers and principalities, some of which we are more certain of than others. And if John seems over the top when he uses beasts and dragons, remember that in modern political commentary, we use pictures of donkeys and elephants struggling against one another for power. Donkeys and elephants struggling against each other for power. So the whole beast versus dragon thing shouldn't seem that weird to us. Since the second century, most interpreters have believed that Revelation was directed to churches suffering general and official persecution from the Roman government. More recent research indicates that there was no such persecution, but that local and sporadic harassment sometimes led to persecution or even martyrdom. So John might have seen these scattered incidents as the leading edge of a worldwide persecution of the church that would be the final catastrophe preceding the end of history. But we know that general persecution of the church from the empire really didn't happen during the time he was writing. So it could also be that John was writing to mm, poke the churches that he was pastoring a little bit. Not that they were suffering intense persecution, but that they were complacent. Communities that were content to go along, to get along with the empire. And John may have wrote to tell them that there are dire consequences for doing so. Lives are at stake. This is more or less what John describes in the first 20 chapters of Revelation. Death and destruction are the consequences when the world is ruled by violence, greed, and oppression. There are wars, rumors of wars, famine, and disease. All of these horrors that have been mm, writ large, sometimes put on movie screens, 
but perhaps are really just talking about these bigger themes, these broader concepts. But by the time we get to chapter 21, John shifts gears, and just in time, of course, because it only has 22 chapters. So to repeat myself, the imagery in chapter 21, at least these first six verses, just isn't as exciting or shocking as the chapters leading up to it. The message is much more direct. Here's what's going to happen. There's a new heaven and a new earth. God comes down to us to dwell among mortals. Um, and, and it's not as exciting or as shocking as what comes immediately after verse 6 either. And, and that's where we find the imagery that's a little more familiar to us. The rest of chapter 21, verses 7 through 27, describe what the new city looks like. And this is what captures everyone's imagination. Let me read a little bit, starting in verse 11. It has the glory of God and a radiance like a very rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It has a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels and on the gates are inscribed the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. And I need to pause here to say a word about the recent misuse of this text. Christian nationalists like to use these verses to justify building a wall on our southern border. When asked about the proposed border wall, Reverend Robert Jeffries, the pastor of First Baptist Church in Dallas, responded, the Bible even says itself, heaven itself is going to have a wall around it. Not everybody's going to be allowed in. Well, had Reverend Jeffries continued reading, he would have discovered a very different story about heaven's wall. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night. They will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. So, the gates don't shut, which is otherwise known as an open door policy, or as we say in the United Church of Christ, no matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. But back to what gets top billing. The streets of gold and the city's foundation, which is adorned with every jewel, jasper, sapphire, emerald, the list goes on. This is definitely not an Oklahoma City maps project. Which isn't really fair to say. MAPS, short for Metropolitan Area Projects, began in 1993 when voters approved the city's first MAPS sales tax in an effort to make significant improvements to downtown Oklahoma City. It eventually led to MAPS for Kids, then MAPS 3, and MAPS 4 will begin just next year. And what is there to show for it? Well, improved school buildings and facilities, we have our very own NBA team. We dug and filled the Bricktown Canal, not to be confused with San Antonio's Riverwalk. We are building a new $288 million convention center, which is right across from the $132 million Scissor Tail Park, described as a 70-acre urban oasis that will include a cafe, sports facilities, tranquil lake, 
and nature walks. I really did get off the website. And, and, and I don't want to forget, we also do not want to forget that shiny new streetcar that runs a two-mile loop around Bricktown. We are a big league city indeed. Unless, of course, you're in the county jail where medical and mental health professionals treat patients in jail cells. The jail's three elevators are constantly broken, the computer system is more than 20 years old, and inmate deaths continue to rise. We are a big league city, unless you are a teenager in Oklahoma County, where we consistently have one of the highest teen birth rates in America, but refuse to mandate comprehensive science-based sex ed curriculum. We are a big league city, unless you are a reproductive health care physician trying to offer routine medical procedures but are now required to give patients false information about abortion reversal. We are a big league city unless you are homeless and need a place to shelter during the increasingly long tornado and severe weather season. It's a big league city unless you rely on public transportation to get to work or to school on time. It's a big league city unless you are a person who is undocumented. It's a big league city unless you are an unarmed black teenager. It's a big league city unless you are the queer community. It's a big league city unless, unless, unless. And this is why scripture is so important for us today. Followers of Jesus are not really interested in a big league city. Our vision is much bigger than that, much bigger than that. And we take the text seriously, and so we act on it. As we look for inspiration and wisdom in this scripture, we notice that before the city is physically described, before we hear about the streets of gold and the jewels, before the angels and the glory, before seeing the shine of those pearly gates, the politics of the city are made clear. It is a place built on God's unfailing love and justice, which is why every tear has been wiped and death and pain are no more. Politics comes from the Greek word polis, which means of the city. Politics then is the shape and shaping of the city. So it is that we say that there is such a thing as gospel politics. For in the city of God, systems of oppression like sexism, racism, xenophobia, and homophobia do not exist. Which is why the tears have been dried and suffering exists no more. This is politics, how a city is shaped. This is the vision John casts for all of us, one that he called our ancestors of faith to actively work towards, and one that he calls us to actively work towards too. And don't, don't get me wrong, it will be very nice to have that downtown park. It will be nice to ride the streetcar. It'll be nice to go to the new convention center, but we are working towards a city where the people who build it are paid a living wage and have access to affordable housing, not as an afterthought, but as part of the sure foundation. 
We are working towards a city that celebrates diversity loudly and proudly. So we put on our rainbow shirts and sprinkle all the glitter, but we also push for anti-discrimination employment protections because marriage equality isn't enough. We are working towards a city where accessibility is not a special accommodation, but standard practice. We are working towards a city of reconciliation so that we do not worry about being called racist because we are worried about being racist. We recognize white privilege and make changes because surviving a traffic stop for a broken taillight shouldn't depend on your skin color. We are working towards a city of restoration and recovery so we take a tour of the jail, refuse to be quiet about a system that functions at a, as a debtor's prison, and petition to get on the Sheriff's Community Advisory Board. We are working towards a city where women are trusted as capable, moral agents. Over 80 Oklahomans showed up outside Planned Parenthood yesterday to offer support for an organization that trusts women, uninsured or simply unsure, undocumented, or unintended, scared, or certain, their door is open. Let us do more than hope that our churches are as welcoming. We are working towards a city where systems of oppression that create tears, death, mourning, crying, and pain are rooted out and replaced by supportive, covenantal community. We are working on it just like John, believing that we are co-creators with God, partners in the work, knowing that if the arc of the moral universe is to bend towards justice, it's because we're leaning on it hard. And when God says, as in the text, it is done, God does not mean that transformation is complete in the present, but rather that we can trust that our work is not in vain, but we are one step closer. The city of God is on its way, and we can see it even now. The New Jerusalem was a profound vision. The New Jerusalem is a profound vision. And it might even include a shiny streetcar, but I think it will have a loop longer than two miles. Let us stay the course and have the courage to see it through. Amen. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Waukee, Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.